Heads up, friends. The unofficial Shopify podcast is made by indie entrepreneurs for indie entrepreneurs and may contain material not suitable for all audiences, like swearing or economics. Listener discretion is advised. Don't get lost in the vast expanse of the internet. Try Ventoff SEO Manager instead, the Shopify app that store owners use to optimize their search engine results. Ventoff SEO Manager is your SEO toolkit. You'll be king of the hill, top of the heap, cream of the crop, so why settle for page 10? Simply put, SEO Manager allows you to change the way search engines see and list your store. Better search rankings means more customers, which means more money for you. Try Ventoff SEO today and get found. Just search SEO Manager in the Shopify App Store to get started. Welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host. Oh no, I blew it again. Welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. <laughs> your source for Ecom Recon for Shopify entrepreneurs like yourself. I'm your host, Kurt Elster. Tech nasty. And today we'll be talking with Robbie Kelman Baxter, a subscription and membership expert who's been helping businesses like Netflix, Microsoft, and the Wall Street Journal thrive. Get ready to learn all about forever transactions and how they could revolutionize your business. Robbie, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm happy to have you here. You came as uh, a referral. We'd done an episode about uh, customer lifetime value and um, Daniel, who ran, who was the guest on that episode, was like, you got to have Robbie Baxter on to talk about subscriptions and membership. It was more, it wasn't a suggestion. It was like insistent. And so <laughs> like, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Please can yeah. you send me an intro and here you are. So I certainly you've, you've worked with some impressive uh, businesses there, Netflix, Microsoft, and, and uh, WSJ, but I'm sure there's more to it. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be working on uh, subscription and membership models. So when I was a little girl, all I wanted to do was be a subscription consultant. What? That was, that was no. a joke. <laughs> that, that was my attempt at a joke. Um, I, I'd been a strategy consultant. I'd been in product management in Silicon Valley. And when I hung out my own shingle, I knew that if I wanted to establish myself credible, credibly as an expert, I needed to find an area of focus and have it be something that that... I was passionate about and that had a lot of legs where there's a lot of room to grow. And um, so as I consulted doing sort of traditional, you know, what you think of sort of traditional strategy consulting, I had in the back of my mind, what is an area that nobody is interested in that I'm interested in? And my, I think my fifth client uh, as an independent consultant was Netflix. And wow, I know. And I mean, and this was when just to sort of set the, set the stage, this was, you know, early 2000s. Um, they had just gotten a national footprint. So, uh, as you may recall, you know, they started on the East Coast and the West Coast. You know, everybody's small once, right? Um, everybody's a startup at some point. And so they started on the coasts and sort of worked their way in, inland um, because they were still shipping DVDs to people's homes. And that was hard to do. It, you know, you had to have a distribution center. You had to be able to commit to that three-day turnaround that they'd promised. Um, and so until they got a national footprint, they couldn't really do 
national advertising, national campaigns. So that was that was right around the time that I started working with them and um, was working on you know acquisition, uh, new acquisition channels, and a little bit of pricing work. And I saw I was just so impressed with how they were thinking and how different it was. I'd been a consultant. I I'd seen a lot of companies. I'd never seen a company this customer centric. Um, they had a lab inside the building, um, you know, pretty small startup, right? And they had a, a like a, a little lab where they could do focus groups and interviews and people could watch them and, you know, the one-sided mirror and all of that. Um, and they had very clear rules for how to launch a trial for acquisition. You know, this is the kind of retention that we're looking for. Therefore, this is the kind of acquisition. Uh, you can only have one promotion, right? There, so there weren't, you know, a million different, you know, Let's see what 10% off looks like versus a two-week free trial versus a three-week free trial. One offer. Let's keep it clean because we have to understand the metrics. And I just I just fell in love with the discipline. I fell in love with the spirit of experimentation. Um, I fell in love with the customer centricity. I've always been a people person and interested in what makes you know customers tick. And um, I love that they were focused on retention because... Every company I'd ever worked with, you know, retention was either ignored or relegated to a very junior person. And at Netflix, the retention metric was front and center for every single person in the organization. So I thought there was something there. And, you know, as I was sort of falling in love with them, other companies were noticing what they were up to, especially here in Silicon Valley. And I started getting calls from people who said, you know, we're interested in what Netflix is doing and how that might apply to, you know, fill in the blank. Um, you know, to to news, to music, to uh, professional services, what have you. And it just started working on frameworks. You know, what is really going on here and what's applicable? So my second client was um, was part of Intuit, uh, the, you know, con consumer um, and, and small business uh, uh, accounting. And I came in guns blazing. We need a two-week two free trial. Didn't work there. And so I learned, you know, here are some things, you know, not everything that Netflix does works everywhere, um, but some things that Netflix knows apply everywhere. And so figuring that out was really the beginning of, of my journey. And I've, I've never looked back. It's been 20 plus years. So what are the things that, that Netflix is doing that are universal? Uh, make it easy to cancel. That's one. Uh, so, it, you know, any kind of subscription, it shouldn't be harder to cancel than it is to join. Um, that creates trust, and trust is critical to any kind of, you know, subscription, membership, um, you know, premium loyalty program, like the kind of thing, you know, the Amazon Prime kind, kind of approach. The reason people pay is because they kind of relax into it, and they trust that the organization is going to take care of them, and they don't need to think about it or reconsider the decision. If you make it hard to cancel, the person says, wow, this is an organization where I need to keep my wits about me if if I want to work with them because they're not looking out for me. If I don't pay attention, I might get taken advantage of. Making it easy to leave is a signal that you're trustworthy. The other thing that I think Netflix is really good at that every company can look at is they keep their model really clean and simple. Um, a lot of organizations are really tempted to have a lot of different trials, um, a lot of different tiers of offerings, a lot of add-ons. And while in some ways that's great for letting the customer choose exactly what they want, a, that's really complicated for the customer. You're asking them to become an expert on your product or assortment and figure out what they need. And B, on the on the company side, it's very hard to track the data. The data gets really, really complicated, um, and you end up needing, you know, a whole team of of data scientists and 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 academics at the level of Dan McCarthy 
um, to help you understand what's going on. And and for the average, you know, merchant, that's 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 a lot. And if you just keep your model simple, it's a lot easier to see what's going on, and it's a lot easier to make improvements. I love and appreciate simplicity, and anyone who can recognize, like, hey, sometimes you you can overcomplicate it, especially for a small business, and there's no advantage to it. Right. There is advantage in keeping things simple because they are easier to manage, maintain, communicate. Yeah. I think that's a big problem there. Like you mentioned, like, oh, they've got all the you, companies will have too many free trials. Yeah, that's confusing, isn't it? For both yeah. the, the consumer and uh, the marketer trying to figure it out. Um, you're the author of two books, The Membership Economy and The Forever Transaction. What is a forever transaction? A forever transaction is a relationship where the customer decides that they don't need to look for alternatives to solve a particular ongoing problem or achieve an ongoing goal. So if I decide I'm going to buy all my professional clothes at Ann Taylor, let's just say, right, whether or not Ann Taylor has a subscription, I've established a forever transaction with them. Um, I've made the decision that this is where I go. I'm going to look here first. A lot of people, you know, Amazon Prime, great example, right? People start there. If they can't find what they're looking for, then they go somewhere else. But it is, you know, they're like, I've decided and I'm not going to reconsider that decision. And I think in a membership economy, the moment when that customer makes that decision to have a forever transaction with you, that's the starting line uh, for investing in that relationship, not the finish line. So how do subscriptions fit into the forever transaction? When you have a forever transaction with your customer, when they want you to serve them, solve that ongoing problem, help them achieve that ongoing goal, you can just continue to transact with them, but know that they're going to keep returning. And that's a lot of the work that Dan does. Or you can take the next step and say, I'm going to design something that just solves the problem on a fixed price, on a monthly basis, or on an annual basis. So having a forever transaction kind of gives you permission to use subscription pricing. Subscription pricing is just a tactic. Um, it's a tool. The, the forever transaction is the relationship. Well, all right. The attraction is clear, but certainly not all businesses are going to be right for this. So do you have like a, a litmus test for good, bad fit for you know, subscriptions and this forever transaction idea for a, a business? Yeah. Do you have... Do you solve an ongoing problem for your customers? Can you solve an ongoing problem? Can you help them achieve an ongoing goal? If your product honestly is not for an ongoing need, um, you probably, you know, can't make a good case for offering it as a subscription. If I if I tried to offer a subscription to one book with nothing else, right? People are going to say that that doesn't. There's no product market fit. Why why do I need to pay a subscription to access one book? Just I want to buy it. It's small. I'll put it on my shelf done, check it out from the library, done. Um, so that's that's the first thing. And then I think, you know, more, more selfishly for the for the companies, if you um, have a, if you, if your customer has no choice, um, you don't really need to invest in building a relationship with them because they'll just do it. So if you're the last gas for a hundred miles, if you're, you have a patent to the drug that keeps me alive, um, you know, it, you don't need, if you'll never see me again, you don't need to invest in, in subscriptions and, and figure all of this out. Um, but, but for most other organizations, if your customers have other choices and your best customers stay a long time, there's probably room for you 
to uh, to to build a subscription. I like the bad example of hey, you can't sell subscription for the same book. <laughs> what are in like obviously Netflix is where this idea originates. Do you have any other examples of like these are ideal ideal versions of this? Yeah, LinkedIn, right? You start your career maybe maybe in high school, uh, maybe in college, and you might you know my my teenage kids who are in college are on LinkedIn. My 80-year-old father who's been retired for five years is on LinkedIn. They're, you know, not as active as I am, but they're there. That is a nice, long problem to solve. That is an ongoing goal to thrive in your career, an ongoing problem. How do I stay connected with the people in my field? Um, it's a great one. And, and sort of an interesting side story and another less good example or an interesting example, the people who started LinkedIn, the team that started LinkedIn, prior to starting LinkedIn, they started a different company called SocialNet, and it was a dating site. And that, that group of people, they're very focused on the stuff that I teach around, you know, long-term relationships, being trustworthy, you know, building a long runway, all of that. Um, but in the world of dating, right, six months, either you've, you know, you found your person or you're really disappointed and you're going to leave the dating pool, right? So even if you do a good job, you put yourself out of business in a few months. So the duration of that forever transaction is pretty short. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of activity recently in high-end dating subscriptions. So there's, you know, Tinder Vault and um, oh, I'm going to forget the other name, but there's, there's Bumble has a new one. These kind of $500 a month plus uh, dating subscriptions, you think, well, part of what people are paying a premium for is get me to the finish line faster. So the actual duration of the subscription is shorter. So I have this question of, you know, does it make the most sense for that to be a subscription or... Maybe this is a case where a fixed price for the outcome is better. I find you your true love. That's $3,000. Hmm. Interesting. All right. So if I have, I like this dating example. So like Netflix, what are they solving for? Boredom, right? Like there's yeah. always that just continuous content that I will always have need for. The content hole must be filled. And it's just, it's a sinkhole. And so there, the forever transaction makes sense. This, uh, the dating example is great because it is, there is a finite lifespan on it for most users, right? Like many years ago, I got on eHarmony and then I met my wife and now I no longer have an eHarmony account. They were successful, so I canceled, right? Right, right, <laughs> like, exactly, exactly. Now, if, if eHarmony wanted to, they can have an extension product and say, we are going to help you have the best relationship possible. And that starts with helping you find your true love. And then we're gonna help you you know, get through the complicated and stressful wedding period or, you know, formalization of the relationship. We're going to help you with, you know, financial issues and relationship issues and aging issues. That could be an extension to the subscription because that is a forever problem, right? That could, you know, if they said, we're going to help you get the most out of your relationship. Um, but, you know, just to help you find your true love, that's, that's very finite. I'm so tired of losing revenue. Are you tired of losing revenue to abandoned carts and lapsed audiences? Of course you are. Did you know that anonymous shoppers who visit your store on their phones can't receive abandoned cart emails from Shopify? Pop quiz. What do Warby Parker, Dr. Squatch, and Blendjet have in common? They all turn to retention.com to maximize their growth and reclaim lost 
revenue. It's money falling from the sky. With retention.com's reclaim solution, you can leverage industry-leading identity resolution technology to increase your SMS and email flow revenue by up to 10 times. We am 10xing our list, okay? Like 10x, like I'm not even joking. Onboarding is quick and easy and implementation takes just hours, not months. Plus, retention.com's flexible pricing is based purely on incremental performance, so you only pay for what you get. Don't miss out on this amazing opportunity to grow your Shopify store and reclaim lost revenue. Visit retention.com to learn more and schedule your demo today. And so this, if you are in one of those situations, the, the value add that goes both ways is look for, well, I like the example of like, well, you could pay more to shortcut the process. It's like, all right, if I'm going to pay the subscription and in theory, they know I'm only going to be there three to six months, I could pay even more. And now they know I'm only going to be there. The promise is, hey, now you only have to be here one to two months, but I'm significantly upcharging. Yeah. At least in that like Tinder vault example. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and here's another example, though. Um, if you um, are like a recruiter, right, if you're going to recruit the CEO for a company, you don't really want to do that on subscription because hopefully they only need one for a while. But if you're recruiting frontline call center people or you're recruiting retail workers um, and there's and kind of that is an ongoing problem. I always, you know, these people don't stay more than a couple of years. They either, you know, up or out or they do something else. I need more coming in all the time as we grow. That becomes a good, you know, option for a subscription. If if you're a merchant, um, if your products are very occasional um, and maybe very high price, that might lend itself less well to a subscription or a membership. But if people are coming to you a lot, you know, you might have an opportunity to say, what is their ultimate goal? Are they coming to me to look professional? Are they coming to me to solve their, you know, do-it-yourself home projects? Um, what is the reason they're coming and what else do they need, right? Because once you know what the promise is, you can layer in more value and extend the relationship, right? And that's where you provide expert advice, um, shorter lines on, you know, discounts because of their commitment to you, um, access to products before everybody else, access to products that are sold out. If you know that that's going to help them achieve their ongoing goals, you suddenly have all of this new room to create a really valuable um, offer, ongoing offering to justify, as you pointed out, the recurring revenue that everybody wants that makes your business more valuable, makes it easier to run your business, um, makes your business more profitable. So it sounds like if I want to start, if I'm in the position where I say, all right, I want to add subscription or membership, I'm going to, like, where do I start exploring? I'm hearing, hey, look, go to your customers, talk to your customers, which always great advice that most of us don't do often enough, right? Like actually talk to the people buying from us and figure out, it seems to start with pain or problem. Like, why are, why are they here? They're solving some need and working from that. But yeah, walk me through, where need. do I start? Yeah, I would start with ongoing need. So one place that often is good is to say, you know, for your best customer, you know, usually I'll ask a company um, or an organization, what is the problem you're trying to solve? What is the biggest unmet opportunity that you have right now? So some organizations say, we have these good customers, but they don't spend very much, even though they really like us. So how do you go deeper? So what are our best customers come to us for? What's their ongoing problem? And how could we deliver on that? What would be the next step up ongoing solution? Another thing is sometimes companies say, you know, our big problem is 
there's too big a jumping off point for them to find us. So what if we offer something for free or something at a low price that makes it easier for them to get to know us? Um, so that's a different kind of subscription or a different kind of membership. Or, you know, they forget about us, right? How do we make them remember us? Or how do we make it a habit? And starting from there, then what you do is say, who are the customers we have right now who would love that? Make sure they would. And then you say, what else would they want? And see if you need to round out your offering. And then, you know, make sure that there's, you know, a big total available market for that group. So if it's, you know, you know, too narrow, you know, uh, people who live in Iowa who have quadruplets, you know, it's going to, you know, those cute outfits that you send out every month that are for, you know, matching outfits for the same size, that may not work, um, you know, as, as you want to scale. If we're, we're on the topic of people trying, a merchant trying to figure out, will this work for me? Where do I begin? When someone is starting with a subscription or membership, where do you see them making mistakes? What are the common pitfalls here? The common pitfalls. One of them is they have too many offerings up front. So we need, uh, you know, gold, silver, bronze. We need gold, silver, bronze. And, and we need, and then we also have to have these add-ons because the add-ons are actually going to cost, we have variable costs associated with it. So let's say we send out a physical product or we're paying for shipping. Therefore, you know, shipping costs different things in different places. So let's have different pricing for it. So as an example, um, you know, I think everybody's pretty familiar with Dollar Shave Club, right? very successful. Gillette tried to copy them. But one of the things that Gillette did is they wanted to charge people for what they were consuming and they wanted to charge people for the shipping. And so suddenly you're getting charged a different amount every month and you're getting charged something different than your cousin who lives in a different town. And it became too complicated too fast. Um, and people didn't see the value because they were trying to do the math in their head. So that's the first thing is, you know, keep it really simple when you start. Um, Second thing that I think they, they often do is they, they don't have a spirit of innovation. So if it doesn't work on day one, they're like, subscriptions don't work for our business. In fact, subscriptions don't work for our industry or our country. Because my first foray into the world of subscriptions was unsuccessful. Um, instead of being curious and, you know, setting up hypotheses up front and say, you know, what do I think is going to happen? What am I afraid could happen? And what will I do if these things happen as the next step? So you're already ready before you storyboard it out even before you start. If not very many people buy it, what do I do? If a lot of people buy it and I realize I underpriced it, what do I do? Like I just had this conversation yesterday with a client that's that's trying to price their their first subscription offering of physical product. And I said, you know, if you price it low, the risk is too many people come and you lose money and you set an expectation that it's got a lower value. If you price it too high, fewer people are going to come and you won't get good data to even learn what's going on. So that start in one of those two places, depending on your priorities, and be prepared to adjust in three months or two months or one month. Set expectations. I like this very sane approach. And I like going into it initially with that idea of like, well, what happens when this goes wrong? So that it's not a surprise, so that you're prepared for it and you have an answer for it, as opposed to, well, we tried it once in its initial instance. It was not immediately successful, so we quit drives me crazy when people do that just and not specific to subscriptions just kind of like you know, business or life in general they're like well it didn't work on the i'm not rich on day one so let's pack it in here the the quintessential example of like ideal use case for subscriptions that we see in e-commerce is consumable good i sell coffee i sell shampoo right i have a subscription to shampoo i can't believe it that i subscribe to shampoo you but, do 
Yeah, I do. Function of Beauty is the one. Um, really, my wife does it, but I use it because that is some quality shampoo. Look at the size of this quaff. Just outrageous. <laughs> um, I was using like dish detergent before. <laughs> and she's like, what are you doing? Uh, she was right. But okay, the quintessential example for this in e-commerce is consumable good. And the one that always comes to mind is coffee, right? You make coffee every day when you don't have it. You're like, this is now the worst day of my life. You don't want it to run out. But that seems like a, a fairly simple use case. Like people could buy the subscription for the coffee, but they're resistant to it because they understand a subscription is this, um, this ongoing expense. It is a harder sell than a one-time purchase. So in that like just very traditional example, what's the ideal starting point? Am I, do I sell a, a bundle? Do I sell at a discount for buying the subscription? I typically see like 15% off kind of thing. There are three kinds of, I think, three kinds of models that, that you might be considering. One of them is, as you said, the consumable model, um, replenishment model. Second one is a curated box, right? So, um, you know, in the case of coffee, that might be three different flavors of coffee, a coffee mug, and, you know, some sort of interesting grinder or a book or something else. You know, and every month you get some cool coffee, coffee t-shirt. And then the third model is, you know, what you know amazon prime does or costco does which is a, a true membership where uh, you pay a premium up front to get access to a bundle of benefits which often includes things like discounts uh, early access free shipping uh, things like that on anything that you buy how about exclusives exclusives yes exclusives early access uh you know limited quantities that's uh, wine merchants for example do a lot of that with their membership you you pay up front and then you have the privilege of buying their product um, or getting access to buy their product at full price because there's a limited quantity um, and, and you want to get that particular vintage or that particular um, style. So, so those are the three, the three, the three types. If you're a coffee, um, a, a coffee vendor, uh, you have a coffee shop and you have a, an interesting coffee blend that you have, you want to do subscription, you, you might start, you know, a discount for commitment, right? That's a very easy place to start. Um, it's not very defensible. It's not very protectable. It's not that differentiated. Um, but it is a good place to start, especially for the people that are like, well, I buy coffee anyway. Right. I buy this coffee anyway. Convenience is another uh, benefit. Right. Um, I might pay full price for the coffee for the benefit. Like I get a bubbly, uh, a seltzer water subscription. They deliver some seltzer water to my house every week. Um, it's really heavy to buy it at the store. So having it delivered, I don't get a discount. I probably pay a little bit of a premium. But the convenience of always having it, never running out and never having to pick it up um, is is big for me, is worth worth paying for. So you want to start with a simple, you know, benefit um, that you know that you have a, a segment. You know, there is a segment that comes in every Tuesday and they buy the same thing. And you say, you know what, you want to join a subscription? We'll mail it to you or it'll be waiting here on the counter and it'll automatically build. Um, that's a really good place to start. And then what you want to do is understand that group and why they do it that way and how they think about your product. So is it about making it more and more convenient or is it about exposing them to new things or is it about connecting them with other people who love coffee? You know, what is it about them that you can get them closer to achieving their goals? How do you find that out? Is it, are we doing like email survey, getting them on the phone, some magic chat GPT data? Um, any way you want. I mean, if you are running a coffee shop, you ask them. You ask them with your mouth across the counter and you you make notes, right? Um, and you ask them if, you know, hey, if I buy you a cup of coffee, can I talk to you for 45 minutes? You know, 
you do a focus group at the table. It doesn't have to be fancy. Um, what you do have to do if you're doing any kind of market research, you, you can also send, as you said, you can also send out a survey. You can have the survey be in, you know, Google Sheets or something that's free and easy. It doesn't have to be expensive or hard. But the important thing is you got to have your hypotheses up front. You got to know what you're trying to learn. What is the question I'm trying to answer before you do your research? And then you have to look at the research and say, what are the answers I came up with? What are the new questions I have? And then you go back and do it. And I think the other thing that's really helpful for people who haven't done market research before um, is that there are really two kinds of research, qualitative and quantitative. Qualitative means you're only going to talk to a few people, but you're going to go very deep and you don't necessarily know what the answer is going to be. And that's great for helping you design quantitative research, because if you don't know what the top three reasons are that people cancel, um, it's hard to create that survey. So you ask people, what are the reasons? And you start to get their answers and you start to see patterns. And then you can take that learning, put it into a survey, quantitative research, and blow it out to 100 or 1,000 people. So, so doing both is really important, um, no matter how small you are. The, with a subscription, we're not going to keep everybody forever. Uh, but I really have no sense of like what good or bad churn, retention, um, and like length of subscription is none at all. You know, how many people, and like, it's such a broad, difficult question. I would imagine the answer is kind of like, well, how long is a piece of string? But it, what are, are there any benchmarks, guidelines, you know, what, what feels right here? Yeah. And, and you're right. Like it, it really varies because, you know, as, as we, we saw with the, the LinkedIn versus the dating site, you know, comparison if your forever promise is I'm going to help you thrive throughout your career, um, you should be keeping people for many, many years, right? They shouldn't want to leave. If you're helping somebody find true love, um, you know, that might be a six month or, or a one year uh, relationship. Um, and they're probably hopefully not going to come back. Right. So you shouldn't feel bad that it's a short duration, right? If you run a dating site and, you know, if somebody from LinkedIn and somebody from match.com you know, are in the same subscriptions mastermind group and, you know, they're comparing retention rates, they should be different. Um, but the thing that's important is that even for the dating site, which might have a shorter, you know, expected duration from, from months one to six or one to three, you know, your retention should be very, very high, you know, 90 plus percent month over month. Um, so that I think is one thing is you have, you have to understand what is the length of achieving their forever promise? Is it really forever or is it five years or six months? And um, and then you also want to, um, you know, set your own benchmarks and focus on improving them. Um, you want to think about the cost to acquire versus the payoff, right? So it's very if it's very cheap to acquire dating dating subscription customers and they stay for six months and you have a, you know, a ratio of you know lifetime value to cost of acquisition that's you know six. Right. So you charge, you know, you cost you three bucks to find them and they stay for six months at three bucks and that's eighteen dollars. You know, that's a great business, even though six months might seem short. Um, but that, that those would be some of the things that I'd be considering about. So three to one um, uh, lifetime value to, 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 to cost of acquisition ratio minimum. Um, and uh, th the other thing that happens a lot is um, when you think about churn, most of the churn happens in month one, in period one. And that's for all the reasons you'd expect. Oh, I didn't mean to be here. This isn't at all what I thought it was going to be. Um, oh, I actually don't use it at all. Oh, I never meant to sign up. Uh, actually, my intention was to get as much as I could out of it 
in the one month. You know, I wanted to watch Hamilton and then I'm out of here. There's nothing else I want to watch. So I never intended to stay. You want to track that first month really hard. If you can keep them through the first month, um, there's a really good chance they'll be around in the third and the fourth months. Okay. So that would be my focal area. Like, you know, people always say, I don't know what the lifetime value is because I'm hoping they're going to stay for 47 months. But if they're leaving after month one, you know, focus there. That onboarding, onboarding is the most important and underused lever for retention. Still trying to survive on Shopify without upsells? In 2022, Zipify one-click upsell users made an extra $156 million in upsell revenue. That's an average of $17,000 for each store that downloaded OCU. Most new users see an immediate 10 to 15% increase in sales from day one. Created by the owner of a $170 million e-commerce brand and trusted by over 13,000 Shopify merchants, one-click upsell boosts your average order value with highly targeted pre-purchase and post-purchase upsells. Zipify OCU's mobile-optimized offer pages drive sky-high conversions and split-testing capabilities maximize your results. It's no wonder one-click upsell has made its users an extra $400 million in sales. Installing the app is easy. It only takes a few clicks to launch your first upsell and start generating more revenue overnight. Go to zipify.com kurt start your 30-day free trial. And for an unadvertised gift, email help at zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. What does good onboarding look like? Like, what's the thing that people are getting wrong here? Make it easy for them to buy. Reinforce the wisdom of their decision to come to you in the first place and show them what your best customers do to get the most value that they're entitled to. So what most companies do is they either just focus on, you know, getting them in and out. So I have a lot of, um, a lot of e-commerce clients that have, you know, really, really good SEO and people kind of parachute in for a certain product and parachute out. And they don't even know maybe even the name of the company, right? Or what else that company sells. So you want to make it easy for them to see what else, you know, say, it's great that you're here because all of our prices are really low or we have the widest selection or we have the best support or we have the best return policy. And then to show them how other customers are more engaged. You know, this is what our most engaged customers do. This is what you can do. You know, if you sign up for our membership, if you sign up for our subscription, if you, you know, show up on Tuesdays when we drop all of our prices, whatever that is, um, most organizations don't have any real thoughtful way of welcoming somebody to their community and giving them, you know, what is what is it that keeps your best customers making sure that your new customers get there as quickly as possible? I suspect the answer to my next question is just no, but is there any risk to, if I'm on a site and I, I offer both subscriptions and one-time purchases, maybe on the same product, uh, maybe on, on different sets of product and catalog, is there ever any risk of one cannibalizing the other? Like you yes. presented, oh, there is. Okay, let's hear it. Oh, yeah. It's a huge issue. Okay, so oh. here's an example. It's a huge issue. And it should not be overlooked. Um, you run a car wash, right? Um, what if the, and then you're, let's say the car wash is $20 per car wash. And you offer a membership where you can get unlimited car washes for $50. So anybody who gets at least three car washes a month is going to get good value, right? What if the only people who sign up for your car wash are Uber drivers who have to clean their car at the beginning of every shift? Ooh. Right? Um and those people used to come and pay 20 bucks and come every two or three days. Now they come every day and they pay 50 bucks. 
Um, so what you what the biggest worry is to kind of summarize that is that your best customers, the ones who are paying full price for the shampoo, right, every week, suddenly they're the if they're the only ones that convert to the subscription where there's a discount, so you lose you lose that profit and you don't make it up in volume. You know, a lot of companies are that's why a lot of companies won't move to subscription or they're scared. And so you do have to do some experimentation and some testing to figure out a what are my best customers going to do and what happens if all of them move to this model and b what is the likelihood of someone new to the site who was going to buy one unit actually upgrading and saying you know what i should actually you know i am a person who washes my car once a month i should be the kind of person who washes their car every week instead of paying twenty dollars a month i'm going to pay fifty dollars a month and i'm going to come four times a month that's your ideal customer right the person who used to pay 20 and now they're paying 50 and they're not abusing the service so yeah it's a huge issue um, it is definitely a potential gotcha um, and something worth exploring, especially if you're moving from transactional only at full price to subscription at a discount. Do you ever, when when launching a subscription for the first time, do you ever do it as a soft launch where like maybe it is segmented to only a small percentage of the total audience? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's lots of ways you can do this. You can say... You can, you can only send it out, you know, send out the offer to a certain group. You can say, we're only going to let people sign up for the month of June, and the subscription is only going to last for one year, and then we're going to reevaluate. And you can set the expectations however you want. Um, bigger companies will do it geographically. So, you know, they'll pick a, a more isolated country. Um, New Zealand uh, is physically isolated, or, you know, Portugal, where they're sort of isolated by language, and they'll launch there and see how it works, and then expand if it's working. Um, or, or it's e and it's easier to close it down if it if it's not working. Um, the other thing to do when you're when you're testing and you're scared is, you know, figure out all the things you're worried about, and then figure out which of them can you learn about without actually launching, without actually building it out, without actually offering it and taking money from someone. So, for example, would they click on the button that says subscription? You do not need to have a subscription to see if people will click on the button that says subscription, right? Um, you can opt, say, thanks so much for clicking. We'll put you on the list. And in the meantime, as our thanks, here's a $10 gift card or whatever. Um, but you don't have to launch your subscription yet, right? Or you can do it with, you know, user testing or, you know, uh, you know, some kind of a, of a research firm. So that's really clever. I always, it, I always encourage my clients to really tease out, like, what are all the questions we have? So, for example, the, the cannibalization question, before you even launch it, you could say, what's the worst thing that could happen? If all of our customers, if the price is, you know, like electronic arts, uh, video games, $60 a box, uh, $100 subscription they're they're considering, right? They were considering, they actually launched it, but you know, $100. So what happens if the only people who subscribe are people who are already buying at least two games a year? How much money do we lose, right? What if we charged $120? How many people do we lose? What if only this many people signed up? You know, do we hit our number that we committed to? And so you can sort of start to figure these things out and kind of get comfortable with it and say, wow, as long as at least 20% of our current best customers don't sign up for this, and as long as one in five people who buy one game sign up for this, this is a winner, right? And then you relax. You're like, that's not, those aren't hard numbers to hit, but, but you don't have to do any market testing. You don't have to actually go out into the market and have a product. Um, so I try to get as much of it answered before you know, before we hit, you know, publish or play or, you know, 
let the let the software engineers actually build out the billing system and all of that. Like first, figure out if it if it feels like it's going to work. I I love that approach. I love your approach in general, which is hey, keep it simple. See if there's a need by talking to your customers. You can test these things without deploying them and plan for the worst case scenario of what if this is so successful it cannibalizes something and what if this is not successful in the slightest and no one cares it's just such a sane and rational approach to it yeah yeah this stuff is not hard and and i think smaller businesses often have an advantage because you actually like if i say who are your best customers to ea they'll say well it's a person with this profile xyz and it depends on this and it depends on that if i ask a person that runs a coffee a coffee business they'll say there's this woman in Nebraska and her name's Mary and she buys everything we sell and you know, da da da. And you're like, oh, they really know. And then when you really know your customers, it's so much easier to design an offering. Um, you, it's much easier to get Mary's attention and say, hey Mary, can I run something by you for your qualitative interview? She can help you put together the survey. Um, it's just, it's just a lot easier. You don't have to have, you know, a fancy research team or, you know, complex uh, testing systems, um, you know, you, you kind of are at an advantage. You can just, just uh, you know, use your intuition and, and the relationships you have and try something. I think the, the other advantage I find that the smaller teams of businesses have is that they could just move faster. They could make decisions faster. They can move faster, like the red tape and uh, it, like some of the internal politics just goes away. And that's totally true. That's a relief. Um, so you must have some resources uh, for folks who want to learn more about subscriptions and memberships. Where should they go? Uh, I have a lot of stuff, RobbieKillmanBaxter.com. Um, I have a, a, some white papers on launching your subscription business, on scaling your subscription business, on retaining the customers that you have. Um, and um, on LinkedIn, I, I post every day. I try to post valuable content every single day on, on subscription models, retention, engagement, lifetime value. Um, so those are those are probably the, the two best places. And then the books. Um, uh, those are my, you know, I spend a lot of time trying to pull together the very best, you know, ideas, the best case studies, what works, how to do it, break it down um, in, in those two books. So um, those are those are good places as well. The and I'll link to all of that in the show notes, tap or swipe up on your show art. Um, wow. This has been insightful. Uh, all right. What's the future look like here? Are there trends on the horizon? Like, let's polish the crystal ball. What do you see coming down the pipe for in subscriptions and e-commerce? Keeping the customers that you have um, is, is the theme of the year, right? It's the theme of the year. It's, it's cheaper. It's more profitable. It's more predictable. It's more manageable. Um, so... So really focusing on that and getting getting your house in order, um, you know, it's just wasteful to have customers come in the front door, buy one thing and never come back. Um, so I think that the biggest trend that I'm seeing is people are really getting serious about not just acquiring customers, not just what's my revenue number, but where's my revenue coming from and how how profitable is that revenue? Are they are these from return visits? Excellent, excellent advice. Uh, Robbie Kelman Baxter. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Check it out. RobbieKellenBaxter.com. Uh, you can get her latest book is The Forever Transaction. 
as well as uh, the membership economy. I got to grab these. These look good. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. This is really fun. My pleasure. The unofficial Shopify podcast is brought to you by Loop. Loop is a returns management platform that makes returns profitable and stress-free for you and your shoppers. Loop offers automated returns, exchanges, and store credit options to lower costs and increase revenue. You want to offer at-home pickup or boxless drop-offs? Need to lower return costs or increase repeat purchases? How about all of the above? That's what's possible with Loop. Loop delivers customized returns management solutions for Shopify merchants of all sizes, like Studs, Princess Polly, Code Epoxy, to turn returns into returning customers. Find out why thousands of Shopify merchants choose Loop to manage their returns at loopreturns.com. That's loopreturns.com.